Welcome to Think Free with Stephen and Daniel, two brothers breaking down ideas and ways of thinking about this thing we call life. Unlock your mind to explore more than you ever thought possible. Think Free. All right, here we are on another episode of Think Free, and we're going to jump into the games we play today is the topic I want to talk about. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Before we do, uh, Daniels, there's something you want to say about our last episode. Yeah, absolutely. Really enjoyed that episode and spent some time listening to it after we posted it and wanted to make one correction uh, when we were speaking about the hieroglyphs, the Egyptian hieroglyphs. I had mentioned that there wasn't any found hieroglyphs that show the creating or the stacking or the making of the pyramids inside of the Great Pyramid. And there actually is not a single Egyptian hieroglyph inside of the oh, Great Pyramid. Okay. Uh, so there are other millions of ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs throughout Egypt, but there is none inside of the Great Pyramid, which um, I think is an important correction that I wanted to make uh, specifically because it gives a little bit more uh, to the possibility mm. that the Egyptians were not the ones, in fact, who uh, built the pyramids. Originally. Okay, so there's not evidence of Egyptian culture as we know it today that exists inside the Correct. pyramid. Correct, okay. as we see in other places in Egypt. Where there are evidences of Correct. more current or what we understand to be even ancient Egyptian culture yes. displayed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And probably nothing on the outside of the pyramid. Correct. Either, I would imagine. Correct. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. So, yeah, that's in reference to our fifth episode where we talk about ancient Egypt and the pyramids and other places in the world, ancient civilizations, all that fun stuff. So thanks for catching us up on that. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so I've got some notes here to keep me on track. So a lot of thoughts about the topic today. Okay. Uh, so I thought I wanted this is the first time you've had notes. I like it. It is <laughs> a little less off the cuff. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to start by asking you, Daniel, what are some of the games that you played as a kid? Uh, and games uh, for the imagination, as opposed to sports. Yeah, maybe board games. Let's start with board games. Board games. Oh mm -hmm. man, board games and card games. I would mm -hmm. say uh, probably Monopoly. Sorry. Okay. Um, risk. Mm -hmm. uh, solitaire. Okay. We played a lot of that growing up. And then as I started to get into my teenage years, I uh, really got into Star Trek card game and Star Wars. That was what Christian kids could play who couldn't play magic? Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. A lot of late nights with uh, pop and candy. <laughs> Twizzlers. And pretzels. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> having right. sleepovers. So okay. a big community in the area, neighbors behind us that uh, played those games. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is there a favorite that stands out? Any one of those games that stands out as a favorite that you... Yeah. The, the Star Trek card playing game was... Big tournaments, 30, 40 people wow. we'd have over uh, crash at two or three o'clock in the morning, all sleeping on sleeping bags down in their basement. And yeah. Yeah. yeah it was before you could do Halo land parties, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So analog days. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cards. Once Halo started coming out, yeah, that took over. It right. was a little bit more intriguing and yes. mesmerizing. Mesmerizing stimulate for sure. Uh, were you the kind of game player maybe something like Monopoly. I don't know if you could with the card games where you, were you straight player by the rules, hundred percent, never stole a 20 from the bank. If nobody oh, was no, I, I stole. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Not, a, not, a, not every single time, okay. but 
yeah, you know, slip an extra one every once uh-huh. in a while. So yeah. There's an opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Kind of spiced up the game a little sure. bit. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. And did you find that when it came to rules with any of the games, would you be quick to consult the rule book or would you more defer to uh, common practice or house like rules? House rules. Yeah. Um, the rule book. Yeah. Rule book. Yeah. Having some sort of objective thing to appeal to. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty black and white uh, for most of my life until... Mm-hmm. Uh, probably late twenties. So okay. rule book is one of the ultimate black and whites. If, if the rule book is written well enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And some of those games like Monopoly and sorry stood the test of time and got, Absolutely. got yeah. dialed in over, over not, years. They're not too complicated. So right. there's not a lot of different mm-hmm. uh, situations that would arise that would be wondering if it would work or not. Right. Right. And it's always more fun when people agree on the rules, they play the game, they all understand. They come into it in the same kind of format, same kind of understanding. We're going to either go with these house rules. We're going to go with the book. We're going to go with what we did last time that we liked because yeah. maybe we made a change. Yep. Everybody enjoys the game more mm-hmm. if they're playing along. You don't yeah. feel like you're you're getting slighted or mm-hmm. yeah, or you're unsure what the strategy might be if you, right. if you know the rules. The first time I play a game, I don't put any pressure on myself to do well or to be good because the strategy a lot of times comes in when you understand the rules and you know how to leverage them mm-hmm. to yeah. your advantage. And so the more you understand the game, the better you can leverage those tools. Well, games are, are easy to spot when we talk about playing, so like board games or sports. I think games also show up in other ways in our life. I think traffic rules that we follow is a is a game essentially that we've invented it's a game that didn't exist a couple hundred years ago because we didn't have cars and i'm sure there are expectations of how horses and buggies and pedestrians interacted but as far as how we understand modern traffic patterns especially in america with stoplights and yielding and whether you drive on which side of the road and how you make turns and who has the right of way at intersections it's really a it's a game that we've made up as a society as a culture and and devised to help us get from one place to the other with minimal risk, least amount of accidents, and hopefully some efficiency. Uh, another thing I think of as, as a game is the eat first, pay later restaurant model. If you go to order fast food, of course, you order your food, you pay for it, and then you get your food and you eat it. If you go to a sit-down restaurant, like Applebee's or something like that, you've ordered your food, they bring you the food, and there's an expectation that you're going to pay for it, even though you don't really have to. I've never seen anybody force anybody to pay for it. And you can just get up and leave. And yeah. It's not like you have to show your receipt at the door before they allow you to walk out the door. Right. Or a proof of funds before they'll bring yeah. your food to the table to show us your credit card. We want to pre- pre-authorize it or that you have the cash in your wallet. So that's essentially, when I talk about games in life, that's what I'm saying here. This is a game that we play because we all agree to the rules, just like we all sit down to play Monopoly or Star Wars or Star Trek game. Everybody agrees to the rules and everybody says, well, I'm going to play the game as long as you play the game the way I'm playing the game. Another version of that is money, the concept of money, uh, currency. Before we had currency, we had a, a barter system. Then there was no intermediary. There was no third thing that represented the exchange. It was, I have this many apples and you have this much corn and let's trade in a way that we think is equitable. And, and then we have what we need. Mm-hmm. And so then, of course, we developed money throughout human civilizations to be a stand-in. It's also a way that we, of course, are compensated for our efforts and our labors. Even if we don't have goods to trade, we have labor to give. And so Mm -hmm. we get money as a stand-in. And money is only meaningful or only works if we all agree to the rules of the game. Just like chess, for instance. You're using chess rules and I'm using 
checkers rules, then we're not going to have a very successful game. Neither of us are going to enjoy it very much. Mm -hmm. And so if you agree a $20 bill is worth uh, one hour of labor and I agree a $20 bill is not, then it might be hard for us to play the same game. Mm -hmm. And so with money, we all have to come to some agreement about what it means. And then, of course, going to different currencies is always part of the fun, too. Yeah, I think it's always fascinated me that gold Mm. was one of the first currency standards. Yeah. And when it became the standard, it was literally useless. Mm -hmm. It is malleable. It's not hard. It's, it takes a lot to get it. It, It's, it's very interesting why it even became as popular as it did. And you can see in some of the indigenous communities that they started uh, receiving some of the gold because then they realized that they could give some of that gold to a different community Mm -hmm. and get what they wanted for it. Yet they had no use for it at all in their entire community other than like you said, taking one commodity and passing it on to the other one so that you could get what you're wanting. Right, right, exactly. And so people started to believe in the value of gold mm-hmm. because, as you said, it, it intrinsically doesn't have a lot of usefulness. Now uh, it does in some of our electronics and things like that. But yeah, absolutely. Back then it, it had nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just a thing that people made up and decided and you can probably, you know, we can point to some reasons because of its rareness, because of its ability to transport, because of the beauty. If you refine it and, and layer over things, you know, it gives them a, a beauty and a mystique. So mm-hmm. there's some aesthetic arguments to be made, but in a practical survival, how am I going to feed my family right. and protect them from predators? It's useless. Especially in, in the beginning stages of, mm-hmm. of the gold too. And I imagine there were not layering it on top of every single thing that right. they could. <laughs> Yeah. And then, and then the more people that believed in it as a means of exchange, as a commodity to represent value, the more it grew mm-hmm. and it became more and more so. And so exponentially. Yeah. Right. And so those of us in a modern era obviously can't conceive of a time when gold wouldn't have value. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, we found uh, ways to actually integrate it into our lives in a meaningful way, yeah. in electronics and that sort of thing. Yeah. So if everybody stopped believing in gold as a useful thing, other than its utilitarian uses in electronics, gold would have no value Mm -hmm. because it only has value as much as we assign it, which is also the same uh, to be said of any paper currency as well, or silver or diamonds or anything like that. They all just have value because we've agreed to play the game, just like Monopoly money literally has value while you're playing the game. Um, And the moment you stop playing the game, it's just paper. Mm -hmm. Same with U.S. currency. Right. Yeah. If while you're playing Monopoly, tried to use some other type of money from a different game. Yeah. It wouldn't point. be valuable because the rule book that we're already agreed upon in mm-hmm. Monopoly talks about having Monopoly money. Right. The person who has the most at the end wins. So if you had a very small amount of Monopoly money, but you had a whole bunch of this other money, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be valued. In the game of life. Yes. yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So let's I'll zoom out a little further. A lot of the isms that we think about, capitalism, socialism, communism, uh, those are games as well. They're games that we play because we subscribe to a set of rules, a set of values, a set of beliefs, and we find other people who are playing the same game. If we want to trade stocks on the stock market, we are all playing a game that says, if you sell this commodity or buy this commodity, it's worth this, it's worth that, it's worth a different thing this minute than it was a minute ago because of these things that have happened. And they're all rules that we made up just like any other game that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And they only exist because we all believe in those rules and we've gone along with it. Uh, the same can be true of our government. We have elected officials who we've ascribed power to, to make laws, to judiciously rule on cases that we bring before them. 
the only authority they have is the authority that we all believe in their authority that mm -hmm. we've all agreed to say they're the thing they're the thing that matters right now they're the person that gets to say this we have 12 jurors because that's how it got set up and we could have 13 jurors we got 15 jurors we could have seven jurors those 12 jurors can decide if somebody goes to prison or not they can decide if somebody walks they can decide if a uh, if an industry or a company is culpable for harming thousands or millions of people. And they only get to decide that because we've all agreed that they get to decide that. And it's the game that we're all playing by a certain set of rules. Mm -hmm. And then we can appeal to the U.S. Constitution, just like we can appeal to the rule book in Monopoly and say, well, it says if you want to mortgage your property, this is how you do it. And if you want to buy it back, you have to pay, I think it's the mortgage value plus 10% mm -hmm. or whatever the yeah. rule is. And so our constitution is a similar thing. And just like the Monopoly rule book, it was made up. It was written by individuals at one time, and we've all decided, yeah, we're going to go along with that mm -hmm. rule book. We could change it if we wanted to, or we could insist that it's unchanged. Which we have. Yeah. Which we have the multiple times. Yep. Uh, countries, borders, states, cities, all made up. I think most of us understand this. You look at a map of the world without any lines on it. It's just a bunch of land and a bunch of water. And we've decided once you cross over this space, now you've entered a different state, you've entered a different country. If you weren't born on this side of the line, then you shouldn't be able to cross this line unless you do certain things. And that's how we keep order. And that's how we maintain a system that most of us have agreed to abide by. And if we want to change that, when we have to change laws. And if we have to change laws, we have to go through these rules because it's a game. That's what I keep trying to mm -hmm. get back to here. It's another game that we're playing that there's... African race and there's the European race and there's the South American race and there's the Latino race. And that's a made up game. There isn't any genetic evidence for that. We know that now. It was a game that was made up to advance the subjugation of people who look different than us. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, people believed in that game. They played the game of there's different races and different values and different qualities and hierarchy of races and structures for the benefit of a certain shade of brown, which is the lighter shade. Yeah, and that certain certain ones of those races are more intellectual than others. And, that's right. Yeah, that's right. The myth that comes along right. with that game. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And just like the myth of Monopoly, that if you have a red hotel, that you get to charge more money than if you just have a green house mm -hmm. on a particular property. Because, yeah, we've all agreed to that. So it's another game that we play. We believe in the game of racism. A lot of us do. And some don't. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, because with the game and the myth of thinking that one, quote, race mm -hmm. has more smarts than another race wasn't found on any particular scientific or any types of right. research that was done with it. And it was only exposed and removed once we had done some research and some scientific evidence for it. So, yeah, it was very... Uh, interesting that it was a widely held view mm -hmm. of a lot of people with yeah. no basis at all. That's right. Other than just color. That's right. Yeah, it, it essentially began with an edict by the king of Portugal to justify the transportation of slaves and the sale of slaves, African slaves, to colonies of Portugal. And then Spain picked it up and, of course, mm, England and everyone else. And so, yeah, I believe it was in the 1500s okay. that the king of Portugal made this uh, this edict. Uh, it was also closely aligned with the Catholic Church at the time, so kind of a double, double rule power. Weird. <laughs> yeah, church and state working together to subjugate the masses. Is, yeah, it's, I think that's the only time in history that's ever happened. <laughs> Probably the last, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so the, the concept of race was invented for political and financial gain yeah. and propagated for like 500 plus years until, as you said, 
science was able to say, wait a minute, we've just made it up, made it up. It was all a game (laughs) that people were playing and believing in. And because they were, people suffered. Yes. Which we'll get to a little bit later, the game of suffering. The other thing I've been facing lately that I kind of shared on a previous episode is even family values is a game that we play. We have different family values that we assign to our, how we're going to be as parents, how we're going to be as a husband or wife or spouse or kids or whatever our relationship is to our family and uncle. We make up a game about it. We make up rules based on how we were raised, what we were exposed to in media, what we think our parents did right or wrong that we want to either do differently or replicate. And so something that can often seem as unmovable or as intrinsic or as immutable as family values because of course they're family values. I mean, just look at Full House, like it, the TV show. It gives us everything we need to know about how to have <laughs> meaningful conversations within a 26-minute episode. So that's a game that we play. A lot of us play in, in different ways. Different families have different values. They have different rules. Well, yeah, and I think just like you would move towards wanting to play Monopoly with other people that agreed to the same rule book as you right. so that it was not as disruptive, same thing with the family values. You would intrinsically hang out with people yes. around you that also shared those same types of family values. Yes, exactly. It re- and it reinforces the game that you're playing. Mm-hmm. And it also makes it seem like less of a game and seems more like just reality. Normal. Right. Which brings me to my next two points as well, which is religious systems. I think probably right up there with, with capitalism and currency, money, religious systems tend to be one of those games that we play as human beings that we're least likely to identify as a game because it is so tied to our identity or to our sense of who we are in the world or how the world operates or as we talked about in a previous episode where we go when we die how we orient our ethics our morality our life choices our partners our family values how we spend our money all of that we tie back to the religious system that we subscribe to or or don't subscribe to and we can be kind of defined by either one of those and i'm suggesting that that's another game that the religion that we follow, the God that we worship, is another game. Not because it's not true, uh, simply be because it's something that we choose. Just like we choose whether we're going to play Monopoly or Life or Sorry or Star Trek or Star Wars or Magic or any of those other things. And this all, all this assumes a bit of a zoomed out perspective that I'll kind of get to here at the end. But if you can just stick with me for a little bit longer on a few more of these games. Education is another game that we play. As a society, we've decided that you you go to school, elementary school, primary school, you move up through high school, and then for a lot of people, they go to college, they go to trade school, and that's the way that you get a job, and that's the game you have to play. Those are the steps you have to go through. Just like a Monopoly, you have to buy a property before you can put a house on it. You have Mm -hmm. to put a house on it before you can put a hotel on it. So we have to follow the education system that's been set up, different in different countries, of course. Uh, Science is another game that we play. It's a tool, it's a means, it's a mechanism by which we interpret the world. It's a way that we test and prove theories and hypotheses. It's the way that we understand uh, the how of something. Obviously, can't answer the why in Mm -hmm. most cases. It can often give us the how or the what or the when or the where, a lot of the other questions. And it's only meaningful as long as we decide it is, as long as we care about the how or the what or the where. As long as that matters to us and as long as we agree that the methods that we're using to determine those answers are things that we're all going to agree with, then science can be helpful. It can be a game that we can play and we can enjoy. And at the end of the day, it is a game. It is a game because we've decided these are the rules and these are how we're going to do it. And we're going to argue with people who do it differently than us or don't subscribe to the same conclusions or think 
science is a thing that you can be pro or anti-science. Science often gets conflated with a belief system, much like religion. Like, are you pro-science or anti-science? Are you going to march for science or are you going to be a science denier? I don't often think science really fits into those categories very well because it's a, it's a methodology. It's a means for interpreting data. And you can agree with the conclusions that that scientific stream of inquiry brought. Let's take vaccines, for instance, because that was a recent controversial instance. Really? I haven't heard about that. Yeah, I know. It's just a little blip <laughs> for a few minutes a couple of years ago, and then it went away. And so I often felt the argument, and I know this is a lot of, one of the things you and I like to talk about, the argument about I'm pro-science or I'm anti-science because I'm pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, I think just misses the point. I think it misses the point of the game that's really being played. Uh, the game that's being played is, do you agree with or do you find evidence or credibility to the conclusions of the science that says vaccines are helpful? Or do you choose to believe the credibility and the validity of the conclusions of the scientists and the science that says vaccines are not helpful? And whether or not you play want to play one game or the other, you want to believe one conclusion or the other, doesn't make you pro-science or anti-science. If you say science is irrelevant and I have a belief about vaccines from something else, then you aren't in the same conversation. You're having a different conversation. You're basing your conclusion on uh, maybe gut feelings, maybe religious conviction, maybe an authority figure in your life told you that vaccines are bad and without any evidence or scientific method you've agreed with that person's conclusion, uh, then you're just not having the same conversation. You're, you're playing a different game. Then to have a conversation with somebody who's playing a game about the scientific conclusions, the conversation is going to be, you know, difficult and probably confusing at best. Yeah. So if I can make sure I understand what you're saying, you're coming from the place of saying that if someone is disagreeing with the validity uh, that vaccines are helpful without looking at it from the scientific aspect of it, then they're not actually having, we're having two different conversations right. because we first need to address their views and their thoughts on them not agreeing to scientific studies being used to validate or invalidate different yes. things. Right. Yes. So yeah. it's not some person saying, Oh, I read all these studies. There's all these tests. There's all of this that show mm -hmm. scientifically that vaccines are bad. And then the other person's having a conversation to say, I saw all these other studies and all of these theories. I do think it, that would be on the same conversation, right. right? but you're They're playing seeing, the same game. Now. Yeah. You're often, mm -hmm don't have that you have one maybe side that does look at some of the scientific aspects the other person is trying to just dispute that they don't believe that vaccines are helpful but they're right. not coming from it at the real conversation which is right the higher one talking about the science right and so they're not even talking about what they should be talking about right. which was is do we both agree that science has the means to either validate or invalidate right. Right. this approach to right. my health or or because it wouldn't health. it wouldn't matter how many scientific studies That's had right. been developed or shown to prove that vaccines are helpful the this person would not even it wouldn't, wouldn't even compute it wouldn't get there yeah. yeah and a corollary of that would be a religious person who wants to convince somebody else of their wrongfulness by appealing to a holy book. So a Christian that mm -hmm. wants to tell you that you're going to hell by appealing to the Bible and saying, well, it clearly says in the Bible 
which I don't think it does, but a religious person might, uh, it clearly says in the Bible that if you don't repent and accept Jesus as your Savior, you're going to go to hell when you die. And the person that's hearing this, if they don't believe in the authority of the Bible, it's a useless conversation right. because they're not playing the same game. Right. And so the person that wants to convince someone else that if they don't repent and accept Jesus as their Savior, they're going to go to hell because that's what it says in the Bible, would be better served to first convince that person that the Bible is a reliable authority. Right. And not assume that that's what the other person thinks just right. because they think it. It's like, and then on the political scale, trying to tell another country that because the Constitution of the, Amer- right. of the United States said something, you need to do something. And right. they don't care about the Constitution. That's of the- not how they run right. their, their society. Their, yeah. Yes, exactly. Or our, our definition of human rights is X. So therefore yours needs to be the same. Mm-hmm. Could be a way of Im- imposing that. I find that what we're experiencing, the conflict in the Middle East between the Palestinians and the, and the Israelis, which is always happening, it's just sometimes it gets to such a fever that the rest of the world hears about it. Yeah. So it's it's in our news cycle right now, even though it's just a constant struggle for those folks that are living that you know, year after year, day after day. And so many of us are quick to jump in from 15,000 miles away to say, well, if only they did this and I stand with this side. Well, you stand with that side. So then I'm standing with the other side because you and I don't agree. So I think most of us are just very illiterate when it comes to the game that's being played over there. Mm -hmm. And we see a few little snippets be like being introduced to a, a very complicated brand new board game and just reading the introduction of the rule book and assuming now you know the strategy for how to, how to win. Well, and I think it's not even that you're reading the rule book, you're being read the rule book by somebody that has an opinion about that. Good point. Right. And maybe has an agenda for how you're supposed to feel about it after hearing their opinion. Yeah. Good point. So I've talked about a lot of bigger picture games that we play, societal games, systems games, things that we've all agreed to. And I think there's also something to be said about the games that we play personally in our own minds and our own little world just you mentioned solitaire is one of the games that you've played growing up so these would be like the solitaire games i picked a couple that uh, i find myself playing from time to time one of them is this game that i have to make sure that no one no one takes advantage of me or controls me in a way that i'm feeling like i'm going to be harmed if i'm in a situation where somebody doesn't want to give me a refund and i believe i'm entitled to a refund I can now switch over and say, oh, I'm playing the game where somebody's trying to take advantage of me and I need to win because this is not a game I want to lose because if I lose this game, it means something bad about me. It, it affects my identity. Most of the time, though, I don't realize that I'm playing that game. I don't see it as a game. I see it as life or death. Life or death for my ego. It's obviously not life yeah. or death. For life or death, physical. right or wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for the ethical standard that I'm defending, which is another game that I'm playing at that moment. Another thing might be on the positive side. I want to be attached or included with the people that I love. There's people that I care about in my world and my sphere. I want to make sure they want to be around me. And so I play the game of showing up at the right time, saying the right things, adjusting my speech, uh, making sure to text them or congratulate them on something when they show up on social media. And I'm playing the game that I want to make sure I don't get left out, that I have a, a community, a tribe, that there's people that are there for me when I need them. So I'm going to be there for them. And that's a game that I'm playing. I'm part of that system, part of that game. Even love, even love between two people that are that are intimate with each other. Uh, romantic love is a, is a game. There's there's a dance that we do. And then even once we've secured the mate or we've you know locked it down for, for what seems like a lifelong commitment, there's still things that we do to ensure that they'll be there for us, that they feel appreciated, that they feel loved. And if we 
do what we consider to be a good job of it, then it's because we've learned the rules and the other person agrees to those rules and our partners on the same page for the most part. And we're going to stick it out for the long term because we're both playing the same game. And right. we're both. Well, and I think if both partners objective is long term commitment mm-hmm. towards each other, the more rules that you both agree on right. and follow, then the more likelihood that you're going to have to succeed at achieving those goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would add to that too, yeah, the more it's identified between the two of them what those rules are, right. even if you don't call it that, but you understand, hey, I really like it when... Well, rules is in the same as in the sense of us playing a game. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, not relationship yeah. rules. Right. But yeah, using the metaphor for yes. rules for the game. Yes. yes. Something like Not that. you're allowed to do this or you're not allowed <laughs> to do this, but just, yes, the rules of how the game of the relationship is to be played, mm-hmm. basically. Right. Yeah. Yep. And to the degree that we don't acknowledge this or don't talk about them or just assume them or wish the other person understood them, then the relationship often struggles or suffers in a way that's not what we would pick. Another game that I think a lot of us play is the game of shame. It can be one of the juicier games, juicy in the sense that it it fuels us, it it feeds, uh, it stimulates us, it it gets us activated in a, a lot of different parts of our body, of our mind, of our emotions. And the shame comes in when we feel like we should have done something or something was done to us that we could have prevented. That's one definition of shame. There's, there's many. And so for me, shame is, is the game that I play when I have regret, when I could have done something different. And shame is a game because we only feel shame when we think we should have done something different. We only feel shame when there's a mistake that was made. And most of the time, if not all the time, mistakes are only mistakes because of what we assign a value to that we could have done or should have done differently. And I think you could zoom out almost far enough to say any mistake or any regret is only there because of the people that decided it's a regret. That's almost like we talked about the stories with a tree falling in the forest. So if I can feel shame that I didn't call my mom on her birthday and wish her a happy birthday, and if my mom doesn't really care about that, then my shame is just a game that I'm playing from with myself. If she does care and it is meaningful for her, then that's a game that we're both playing. And now we both agree that that's something that I could have or should have done. And there's regret or shame because of that. doesn't mean that she wants me to feel shame. It just means that I'm going to feel that. And then if we say, uh, let's say I, I drove drunk and killed somebody because I was driving drunk and I, I'm probably going to feel some shame about that. And that's because we all are playing the game that human life is valuable. We're all playing the game that it's meaningful to not kill somebody. And if we do, especially because we were irresponsible based on the definition of that in our society, then you should feel bad and you should be punished. Uh, there should be retribution, justice, however we want to phrase that. And again, this, this is a bigger leap from calling my mom on her birthday to say human life is valuable because it's the game we're all playing thing that we've all decided. It's one of the rules, and it's probably one of the most universal rules across cultures, across time. Human life, to whatever degree we define that, at least for our tribe. So kind of going back to racism again, if you believe that another culture, another tribe, another skin color, somebody who's different than you, differently abled than you, is not fully human, then this doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. One of the most universal values, ethics, that transcends Every culture throughout history has been, you don't harm the people that are in your group, that are part of your culture, your tribe, whether that's just 50 of you or whether that's a thousand of you. 
that transcends as much of the differences between humans that we can find. That's the one rule that everybody understands and knows. And I'm suggesting that's still a game that mm -hmm. we make up. Are there any things that jump to your mind that are games that you play or that you see other people play that I haven't mentioned? Anything else that's... Now, let me think up. on that. One thing okay. on the, the shame thing I was thinking about too was, as you mentioned, you feel shame when you did something you weren't supposed to or, or you didn't do something when you were supposed to. So it's mm -hmm. missed something, which is interesting from a cultural standpoint too, because other people can shame you and put shame on you. Mm -hmm. Yet if you don't subscribe to those same rules of that game and you don't feel that you did anything wrong, it is impossible for them to shame you. So it is 100% right. an internal aspect where you can shame your feel shame yourself. You can feel shame because somebody else is guilting or feeling shame or pointing something out to you. But if you do not subscribe to those same right. rules of the game as someone else, you can't be shamed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's impossible. They can try right. and they can try to do things that would typically uh, make someone feel shame in if they subscribe to those same beliefs. So I just thought that was interesting that it's yeah very much on the person who is uh, doing the act or not doing the act as far as if they're going to feel shame from that or not. How they're going to receive it. Yeah. I think of a corollary and a monopoly of somebody just blurts out as you roll your dice and you, and you go past uh, the chance square. You don't land on it. You just land on a different spot. And they say, oh, wait, every time you pass chance and don't land on it, you owe me $100. And you say, no, that's not in the rules. That's not the game I'm playing. Sorry, I don't owe you $100. It's a little bit like the shame. The person's trying to put shame right. on you. But if you don't subscribe to it, you don't have to give them the... And maybe they put you in a headlock because it's your big brother. And they say, give me $100 or I'll <laughs> give you a noogie or something. And, yeah. and of course, culture and, and individuals have ways of pushing and squeezing to make you feel that shame, even if you don't want to at first. But ultimately, if you don't agree to it, you don't agree to it. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. You get to decide if you're going to take that on or not. And you can also impose it on yourself, even if people aren't trying to put it on you. Yeah. Man, you, you touched on a lot of them. Okay. I think maybe the only other one that I can think of off the bat would be a little bit about what we talked about in another episode of reality mm, being yes. a game that we play. There you go. Now we're getting to it. <laughs> yes. So that would probably be okay. I mean, you touched on a lot. There's you went through politics and religion and relationships and uh, even just mechanics of our, our daily lives of going to school, mm -hmm. work, driving. And yeah. so that's why. Yeah. Kind of naturally went to, man, all of that encompassed together is kind of what just it's point reality. To, yeah. yeah. And even just to get a little meta here, even the fact that I mentioned so many of those is because I wrote the notes, which we talked about at the beginning, how I don't normally do that. Because mm -hmm. normally the game I want to play is the stimulation of trying to remember everything in the moment. It's kind of more fun. <laughs> for you personally. For me, for me personally, yeah. exactly. That's the game I like to play is being on the spot and trying to remember it and having that uh, the excitement level of it. And then I also sometimes have the regret of, oh, I forgot there was that one thing I wanted to say. Shoot. And so this time I chose to play the game of, of writing things down and uh, it's just a different game yeah. I played and yeah. yeah, different outcomes, a different fork in the universe would have been not writing it down and we would be having a different conversation. So yeah, it's fun to think about reality because yeah, that's, that's ultimately where this is kind of heading and pointing in the sense that we all have games that we can spot in ourselves and often it's easier to spot games in other people. We were just talking about this before we went live. People who love to post on social media about 
their time at the gym or their morning routine every morning. And that's the game that they're playing. And we can see that like, okay, that's the game. Great. Congratulations. You're playing that game. And we can see it in ourselves. Like we talked about with, uh, with the notes that I was taking today. Mm -hmm. And for all of us, most of us, myself included, there becomes a point when something happens or events occur that we say, okay, well, this isn't a game though. This is, this is the real thing. Like this really matters. An easy example would be someone that we love gets cancer, is in a car accident, or something terrible happens to somebody that we really care about or to our own self. And now it doesn't feel like a game anymore. And we might even be able to mentally say it is, but it doesn't feel like it. And I, I feel like for me, that's when I, I've found the thing that my ego is attached to in a way that believes it's real believes it's a, it's actually happening, that it isn't just a problem because I believe it's a problem. It's a problem because it's a problem. Right. An ultimate truth. An ultimate truth. Right. Yeah. And other people outside of it can say, you know, that's just a game that you're playing and you're believing that. You're believing that life is finite, whereas like we talked about, maybe with the soap bubbles, life is infinite. And somebody else with a different rule book in that moment might be able to have that perspective. So I found myself with less dire things, uh, a problem at work with a client, and I'm getting all tense about it. I can feel my blood pressure rising. I'm a little bit less patient with my family members because I'm stressed about a problem that needs solving. And it'll get solved in a few hours and a day at the most. It's not a long-term problem. But in the moment, I'm, I'm really believing the game that I'm playing, which is, this is bad. These people think this about me. This deal might go through. This might affect my income. This is going to reflect poorly on how people think about me. These people are going to suffer because they're not going to get what they want out of this situation. And so all those stories are scrolling in my head, and then I start to believe the game. And even if I have a little voice in the back that says, hey, this is just a game, it doesn't matter, it's only real because you believe it's real, uh, oftentimes there's, there's not enough there to overcome it or to release it or to not take it seriously. I still believe the game. And I think we all have those things. I think at the end of the day, even though we can sit here and talk about it and I can give so many examples of ways that we play games, eventually I find that there's something that my ego is still attached to. There's something that I still have to believe or want to believe or choose to believe or choose to play. And one of my explanations for that is because if we don't believe any of the games, then what's the point of any of this? Like reality just ceases to be meaningful or have any purpose if we know that they're all games. We only enjoy Monopoly or Halo or Star Wars because for that period, that couple hours that we're playing the game, we're believing that it's real. We're invested in it. The Monopoly, believing that it matters. Believing that it matters. Believing that the Monopoly money actually has a value because we've all decided for that couple hours that it does. Yeah, even as much as probably getting some dopamine when you right. get an extra $500 from the Monopoly, like it, right. it produces actually some emotions and chemicals inside of you it because does. you're believing that that has value because you have a value in winning exactly. and being the winner. Invest, you're invested in it. Your right. brain starts to believe that. And then if you're just sitting at breakfast, eating cereal, staring out the window, and somebody walks up with a $500 of Monopoly money and slides it across the table to you, your brain won't react the same way. Mm -hmm. If it's US currency and it's $500, your brain will because right. you believe in that game. Yeah regardless of what day it is or whether or not you're playing Monopoly or not, you believe in that game, even though it is technically just as <laughs> worthless as that Monopoly money is outside of the game that we're all playing. Mm -hmm. 
even because of the game that we're playing, that different countries' currencies have different value to the same thing. Somebody puts 500 rubes in front mm-hmm. of you. Again, yeah. you're probably not going to have the same type of stimulation in your brain yeah. because for the game that you're playing, that is not valued very right. much where we're currently living. And so it won't do much for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and brain science is showing us that whether we're actually experiencing an event or we're vividly imagining an event, our brain is activated in the same way. And so the conclusion now is that your brain doesn't really know the difference between you imagining an event and you actually experiencing an event. It has the same reaction. And so a lot of us have heard about athletes. Phil Jackson made this popular with the Bulls basketball team where they would visualize themselves before a game or during practice, making Mm. shots, making free throws, winning the game, doing the things that they wanted to, accomplishing their goals. And the understanding was that the more we visualize it in our brain, the more our brain believes that's what's actually happening. And so then we can execute it with our bodies when the time happens. And so I think that fits in here with what we're talking about, the games that we play. When you're playing Monopoly, your brain believes that that $500 is actually meaningful. And so you do feel that excitement when your opponent lands on your hotel mm-hmm. because, oh my gosh, that's going to equal $978. And, and again, in 30 minutes, it won't matter. <laughs> right. And in just as brief amount of time, the amount of U.S. currency we collect in our bank accounts won't matter either. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we won't be here in this form to experience it or have anything to do with it. So I think about reality in the myth of uh, Pluto and Persephone. Is that something you've heard before? Are you familiar with that one? Uh, the names, but I couldn't tell you okay. anything about it. It goes back to what they call the, the mystery religions, which are the precursors to Greek and Roman and Norse mythology. A lot of the gods that we've heard of, Pluto and, and Zeus and all those guys, and so this, this myth actually predates a lot of those and informed the development of those mythologies. Persephone was a, a goddess, a princess, kind of a, a princess of the field. I think of the classic Disney Snow White dancing around the flowers and the birds and the bunnies and the foxes are all coming up and she's at, at one with nature. This is Persephone, this mythological figure. And she's the princess of the earth. And Pluto is the god of the underworld. One version says he was split with Zeus, and, and Zeus got the upper world, and, and Pluto, who then eventually became Hades, was damned to the underworld. So Pluto sees Persephone and, of course, falls in love with her, as they always do, and comes up from the underworld and captures her, takes her down into the underworld, into Hades, and makes her his captive and his lover, and forces her to eat pomegranate seeds, which, as we all know, make it impossible for you to leave the underworld. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> this is truly part of the story. This is the myth, okay, yes. okay. Yeah, pomegranate seeds are an important part of it. And so Persephone begins feeling like most of us would that she's been victimized, that she's been taken advantage of, that her freedom has been stripped away. She'll never see the sun again. She'll never see the birds again. She'll never see the flowers again. She's been violated. She had no consent. She was taken against her will, and now she's a captive for eternity. Eventually, she begins to realize and remember that her and Pluto are not separate. They're not distinct. They're not different. They're all part of the same one original essence, the one divine, the one God. And she remembers that at some point, the God split itself apart into multiple incarnations, one of which is Pluto and one of which is Persephone. And that Pluto's game, the game that Pluto is supposed to play, is to be the God of the underworld and to capture her and take her down and make her his, his prisoner. In her game, the game that she's playing as that version of God or that part of God is to be the captive 
and to be taken and to be the victim and to play out her role in that dance of the one God. And so then she finds peace and meaning and fulfillment in the fact that Pluto is doing exactly what Pluto is supposed to be doing and Persephone is doing exactly what Persephone is supposed to be doing. And they're both fulfilling their image of God, their likeness of God, their part of God that's in the world. Because if God just separates itself and doesn't interact and doesn't have conflict and doesn't have tension and doesn't have a game to play, then what's the point? It's all meaningless. That was the very reason for which God split itself Hmm. into the gods of old and now 8 billion plus humans on the earth that are all interacting with each other in ways that are different games that we're playing, the games of reality, the games of traffic, the games of constitution, the game of war, the game of abduction, the game of seduction, the game of love, the game of shame, of misery, of suffering, is all part of the games that we're playing as parts of God, is really what the point of this myth is. It also could be a way for ancient patriarchy to try to tell women to not (laughs) resist (laughs) being abused by their husbands. I don't know. That's another explanation for it. And that's not what we're advocating here by any stretch of the imagination. I uh, just if anybody's going there in their heads. It's, it's simply to illustrate that regardless of what circumstance we find ourselves in, even if it's as bad as what Persephone found herself in, our perspective can be this is a game that we're playing. Do we want to play this game? Is there a way to play a different game? And at the end of the day, is anything in reality even the most dire and terrible suffering we can imagine isn't anything different than a game that's being played or that we're playing. And then what would we do with that? How would that change? Is that something we want our ego to be attached to? Are we able to unattach our ego from that? And if we are, do we want to? Do we want to do something different? What's available to us in the space of how we conceive about the things around us, the reality that you talked about, capital R, reality. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, making meaning, which I think for most of us is the highest good or the highest thing we can achieve. Making meaning in the world is is really about the game that we want to play and what rules do we want. Do we want to break the rules? Do we want to follow the rules? Do we want to create our own set of rules? And whether it's religion or anti-religion, philosophy, anti-philosophy, science, anti-science, any of these other things that we've talked about, ultimately we get to choose the game we want to play and by which rules we want to play. And even if it ends up being that we are put in a position we wouldn't have chosen, we get to choose how we respond to that and react and what we're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. So. Seems like there is a lot of crossover between the stories that we tell mm-hmm. ourselves and the games that we play. It definitely feels like this is kind of a, yeah, a spinoff on that or part two. No, mm-hmm. I, I think it's good. I, I don't think it's a rehashing of it. it. It's, I think they're very much intertwined. Mm. Often, too, we'll tell our certain stories to ourselves based on the rules, you know, of the game that we're playing, telling you that you have a right to get upset with somebody when when they do X, because Mm -hmm. you're telling yourself a story that they're subscribing to the same rules uh, of the game that you're playing. Yes, exactly. And that yours are right and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. theirs are wrong. And And I can appeal to some source to dictate that that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And then kind of like you said earlier, we tend to gravitate towards people who have a a similar set of rules or a similar set of stories or playing a similar type of game. It's comfortable. It's easy. And when we stretch ourselves, that often includes exposing ourselves to people playing a little bit different game or at least a different version of the game that has different rules and different stories attached to it. 
Yeah, which I think as far as society goes and uh, politics, we mm-hmm. you get exposed to differences a lot more now with social media and access right. to phones and news and videos being very at our fingertips compared to 50, 60, 70 years ago. That's right. It, that comes with a cost too, I think. I've felt that recently in my own life, and I think others have as well. The amount of stretching and adjusting our mindset about a particular topic or just reality in general is much more available than it's ever been in human history. And I think if we subscribe to any form of biological evolutionary theory about how we as humans progress and grow and expand, the accelerated rate of exposure to different ideas in the last 10 to 20 years is unprecedented in human history. Absolutely. Never before could you have not even just chosen to learn so much and to see so much, it's almost to the fact that you don't have a choice not to anymore. Yeah. And it really takes a tremendous amount of effort and work to isolate yourself from new ideas or from newer, even newer ideas. It'll be interesting to see long-term, probably long after we're gone, what effect that has on human society and culture that we are constantly being bombarded with new ideas, new concepts, new ways of thinking, challenging our structures. We've existed as a species for so long, changing the rules of the game very slowly over generations, not just just talking about technology, not just talking about religion, but just ways of perceiving the world, ways of interacting with things like gender and race and politics and all the other isms that are out there, our own sense of identity, our, our place in the world, our scope of, of connectedness to people in, in other countries. All of that has just shifted so radically that it's it's destabilizing to say yeah. the least for a well, lot I, of us i think too if you subscribe to the idea that which i agree with that mm-hmm. you mentioned as far as the history of of our race and going and evolving that was a very slow process very i mean slow. it took a long time so i get the analogy of like stretch marks right like it's almost like right that's maybe what we see in another 50 60 70 years so the the amount of information change and revolting and exposure over the last 20 years could have some some dire stretch mark effects that happen if our brains have not evolved to be able to intake all of that right i mean catching up yeah 500 Mm -hmm. or a thousand or two thousand years from now might be able to easily in intake all of that information Mm -hmm. without having any stretch marks from it without having any repercussions or any issues from that yeah, so I would say to anybody, anybody who's listening that you feel like, especially the last few years, has been destabilizing, overwhelming, a lot to adjust to, a lot as being asked of you to change or to adapt or to grow or to stretch, and you want to, probably if you're listening to a podcast like this, you are the type of person who's open to growing. I feel a lot of what you're probably feeling, which is that this, a lot's being asked of us, a lot that we're not equipped for, that we haven't... Uh, stretched our muscles or exercised our muscles in this way. And the rules of the game are changing quickly on a lot of different fronts, uh, politically, socially, so many different ways that we're being asked to adjust to a new normal, a new reality. And a lot of us want to, a lot of us want to be open. A lot of us want to. to Right. I was going to say that in all of this being said, even if the information or changes are good or bad, I don't think that's really the conversation to be had. Yeah. Yeah. It's bigger than that of just simply the digesting of all of that information can be quite a lot. 
It's a lot, especially because any change, regardless of whether we judge it as good or bad, is is a death. Yeah, because painful. It's different, yeah. right? We and and so what we've been missing, I think, especially over the last three years, has been the opportunity to grieve each of those deaths mm-hmm. as they happen, because the next one is right there, right on its heels, and so. Even if you're glad that something's changed, even if you're you think that we're moving in the right direction in certain areas, it's still different. It's still a change, and there's still a death of what was and what we experienced and what we knew. Yeah, and a lot of that I think too is like what we've been saying the the story that we tell ourselves and the the game that we play. Mm-hmm. Like even think of it from a perspective of a two partners in a relationship, and one of them is very physically and emotionally abusive Mm. if the one who is being abused gets removed from that situation oftentimes you hear that there is some pain of even just missing what had been the norm before and so even though they're going to a new place and getting better and and living a a healthier more fuller life still they're having to kind of grieve that identity of who they were that's right before that's right that's right. Yeah. And because our sense of change doesn't care whether the change was good or bad or how mm-hmm. we judge it. Yeah, exactly. There's it's something that's missing that wasn't there before. You're absolutely right. It's a good example. So this is just to give myself and to give the rest of us permission out there. If you feel like the rules are constantly changing uh, and you're having trouble catching up to that and it's destabilizing and head spinning, then a lot of us are telling ourselves those same stories yeah, and not playing alone. that same game. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so this is a... This seems to be somewhat of a unique time in, in human history. Yeah. I'd like to encourage all of us to say that it's okay that we're feeling that way mm, too yes. about it. So it's yes. not only that we're not alone, but just because you have that feeling doesn't mean that the thing that's changing is good or bad. Right. It's just like what I was saying with, with the spouse being right. a hurt. It's it's just is the change. And so it's, it's okay different. to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And of course, like anything else, one of the priorities would be how we react and yes. what we do after that. What's the story we're going to layer on it and, right. and how are we going to see this as part of the game? If you haven't listened to it, the episode that we keep referring to about the stories is episode two, right? I think so. so. Right? Yes. yes. The stories we tell ourselves. So you can check that out if you're curious a little bit more about that topic. I think that gets us to a good stopping point for today. What do you think? Sounds great. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. Till, Till next, next time. time.